The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. BP boss Bernard Looney resigns after failing to reveal the full extent of past relationships with colleagues. With the executive tasked with transforming the energy giant lasting less than four years in the role. The Nasdaq leads declines on Wall Street as Oracle shares steer tech stocks into the red. Focus turns to today's inflation print with double line capitals Jeffrey Goodluck forecasting a Fed cut next year. I think that the Fed raises rates by taking the stairs and they cut rates by taking the elevator. When will they first cut rates, you think? I think it's going to be in the first half of next year. Arm will reportedly price its blockbuster IPO at the top of its range or just above as the world's largest chipmaker, TSMC, confirms that it will invest up to $100 million in the listing. Speaking of listings, the U.S. IPO market really picking up uh, the pace here as German footwear maker Birkenstock files to list in New York the second major European company to seek an overseas listing this month. And Apple unveils the iPhone 15 and hikes prices for the top-of-the-line Pro Max model as the tech giant looks to boost stagnant sales with higher average selling prices. Bernard Looney has resigned as BP CEO for failing to fully disclose past relationships with colleagues. Looney, who took the top job in February 2020, vowed to reinvent the energy giant targeting net zero emissions by 2050 amid a shift to renewable and low carbon power. BP said in a statement that the board had reviewed allegations made by an anonymous source last year relating to his conduct in respect of personal relationships with colleagues. Looney revealed a small number of relationships with colleagues prior to becoming CEO, but there was no breach of the company's code of conduct. Further allegations were made recently and on Tuesday, Looney admitted he had not given details of all of his previous relationships. Looney's did oversee record profits as oil prices surged and described the company as a cash machine in late 2021. The CFO, Murray Alkenklos, will act as CEO on an interim basis. So just to pick up on this, uh, allegations the board investigated back in May 2022, yep. and uh, that was when we saw the disclosure of a, a small number of historical relationships. Obviously, this is a company man, someone who'd worked in the business for a long time, so there had been relationships that had uh, happened over the course of time, but it was the disclosure here that seems to have been an issue and the decision taken from Bernard Looney. And I think uh, one of the, the points that jumps out to me, this is a company that's been trying to position itself on the ESG front yeah. uh, around the E part, and there's S part, obviously, fairly important here. When it comes to the E part, I think that's going to be an issue for shareholders now because we've seen this been a very, very difficult pathway for BP trying to navigate. You've had the company try to stay on track around winding down to an extent on hydrocarbons, Mm. but also investing in renewable. It was on a slightly different page, more aggressive page than rivals such as Shell and Total. And even recently around the performance of the company being questioned by shareholders, mm. BP was saying it would hold the line. Bernard Looney was saying he would hold the line on trying to ensure that pivotal reinvestment, that transition was happening. So the question now is, as we waited out for the company to regroup 
uh, embark upon a, a process to find a new CEO, will any incoming boss change the pace of that transition, stay on the hydrocarbon page longer, or will they stay on the exactly the same course that's been set by Bernard Looney? Yeah, and I mean, with all of that then coming to the fore, you then realize that, well, they've, they've navigated this based off of this notion because, of course, this is a company manager you've made, made note of, right? And, and if it doesn't, if they don't manage to find somebody that either aligns with that strategy or is quick enough to alter the strategy and make it work also, they could actually be a, a major laggard in this industry and actually uh, suffer sort of the situation they've also seen themselves in previously when they had, you know, major gas leaks, which of course, yes, affect many, but they seem to have borne the brunt of a lot of that as well. So can they actually ramp themselves up uh, as quickly as, as possible? That's, I think that's going to be a tough one for them to get to, especially having needed to do this so quickly. The difference this time round, I think, is that Bernard Looney had very much put his agenda out there in terms of what he wanted to achieve. And, mm. you know, the goal was, what, to get to uh, net zero emissions by 2050 and invest billions in renewable and low-carbon power. On the hydrocarbon side, the targets here, they had altered them slightly, but uh, effectively they planned to cut hydrocarbon production by 2030 to 25% in, uh, from 2019 levels. They previously had a target of cutting back by 40%. So there'd been a little bit of a, a nod to shareholders' concerns that the wind-down was too aggressive. And of course, we are very much in that world where energy security is still front and centre. And of course, we're seeing that again with the oil price go up and again, fresh supply concerns in the market, even overnight, which has mm. driven the price higher. Um, that security concern is there, but so too is this transition concern. Uh, and Bernard Looney had been talking about the, the private transport market being effectively not the one where they're, they're targeting anymore. He's saying the game is over. It's all about EVs. Yeah. So you could see this was a company that was trying to pivot towards an energy solution business. So for me, this is going to be very, very key for markets, what that level of investment looks like in future. And to me, Bernard Looney was interesting in the sense that he had come from the renewables part of the business. Yeah. So he knew exactly what the solutions were, that the sort of strategies that had been worked on for many years, ones that could be successful, ones that possibly would uh, be outpaced by rivals or could never get to the monetization point. So he was confident around the strategy, I think, because he knew that arm the business so it, well. It actually worked so well for him. And as you said, I mean, the, having made that, what was it, 6.8 billion euro investment in that offshore uh, power as well, that was their, their, their major commitment then into that renewable space, as you made note of there, developing uh, so much of that growth. So for them, I think that was, that was very, very significant for them. If they maintain, however, their focus for higher returns, do they actually have to realize that we do have to actually take a step back somewhat for now and forego those higher returns in the meantime? Or do they, do they think, well, because oil prices have and are, are continuing to head a little bit higher now, do they take that and say, well, it actually is, a, is the perfect time for us to actually be able to garner in a little bit more funds as we look for a, a new leader to then take us forward and then we can actually pull off uh, the strategy perhaps in the right way, then having garnered perhaps a few more uh, in terms of profits, because the business will still operate similarly. 
I think the problem is that short-term returns, yeah. medium, long-term returns may be very different in this business. Uh, and that is the issue at this stage. You mm. may need someone with the vision and the confidence to try and ride out some of the, the concerns short-term yeah. about winding down hydrocarbons or at least pulling back to an extent. I mean, there were industry predictions again this week about where we go peak oil and peak gas at some yeah. point. So again, that is, that is out there in the marketplace in terms of how this transition is taking place. And for me, what's interesting is that the growth rate in the renewables business, and, and this was something that was fleshed out. Um, you know, Bernard Looney was talking about these very different parts of the market and saying, you know, you're seeing double digit growth rates in EV charging. Some of these sectors are obviously at a very rapid clip. So mm. that'll be fascinating in terms of how that positioning takes place in the marketplace from here. And no doubt there will be an effort to try and woo confidence to around any executive mm. who comes into the business at this stage. Ultimately a ship now without a rudder, unfortunately. Yeah, we are going to leave that conversation there. But for more coverage on Looney's resignation, you can check out cnbc.com. But in the meantime, uh, a lot of the markets to catch up with. And that oil story actually somewhat dominant, wasn't it, Arabile? Yeah, it certainly has been. And I mean, it's a downward day that we pretty much saw across that U.S. market picture than yesterday, right? Yes, it was only marginal then for the Dow Jones Industrial Average there, but it did see big losses then for the Nasdaq. It was on the back of some tech counters having lost uh, quite uh, significant um, amounts then when it comes to its share price. So all three losing ground, of course. It was the first negative session in three days then for the Nasdaq, still at 13.775. The key questions also have been around the S&P 500, whether that 4,500 point mark if it is the, still a target then before the end of the year can it actually surpass that mark well half a percent lower thus far uh, where we saw that trading picture then just yesterday uh, Dow Jones declining as we said marginally then the magnificent seven all declining Oracle being a key part of that so let's get into the tech counters uh, themselves then and this is really what you saw yesterday um, what's really really happened uh, so far is that these um, magnificent seven of course those big tech shares have been the big losers uh, um, and it has, unfortunately, impacted things across the board. Oracle then, as we made note of, losing 13.5%. And that was just on the back of weaker-than-anticipated uh, numbers having come out of that entity yesterday. Worst performance then since 2002, pretty much uh, 20 years then, essentially, for the stock having declined quite significantly. Of course, Apple also being a key part of that. We've made note of it down 1.7%. So if we, if we look at that stock... On the back, of course, of that picture then uh, that we saw yesterday being painted by the business because of that release then of the iPhone 15. Few changes, but is it enough to bring on a whole lot more consumers is the question mark that we'll be pointing out uh, and really be focusing on across the day um, as well in this trading picture. Let's move on to the oil market then. Supply disruptions in Libya. We are seeing floods out there. So the city of Derna has lost around a quarter of its population then on the back of that flood. So perhaps some supply disruptions uh, coming to the fore there. But Brent crude also hitting higher. So too WTI towards $90 a barrel. And I've asked this question already. Does this mean you get to see WTI head towards 90 and create inflationary pressure concerns a little bit later? I mean, that's uh, WTI and Brent crude's highest mark since November 2020. 
2022. So a 10-month high at present is where we're seeing that Brent crude oil price currently sit. Um, we are seeing a few issues come into play. Also OPEC coming through with their suggestions, then suggesting that the forecast for robust growth in global oil demand both this year and next year as economies are actually performing a little bit better than they had anticipated. A quick look at the U.S. futures uh, then in the market. This is anticipated. This is where we're actually seeing ourselves right now. It's a little bit of a mixed picture. The Nasdaq may see a tick higher, Karen. Arabella, uh, let's uh, push on to Arm, which will reportedly price its much-anticipated IPO at the top of its range or higher, which could put the listing price at $51 or above. That's according to Reuters and Bloomberg, which says the chip designer's share sale is expected today before trading begins Thursday in New York. That would put the firm's valuation at at least $54.5 billion on a fully diluted basis. And TSMC confirmed it will buy up to $100 million worth of shares in the debut after Chairman Mark Liu refused to say for certain whether the chipmaker would invest. Arms F1 filing named TSMC among key big-name tech investors or firms interested in putting as much as $735 million into the company, but said none of them had made a decision. Arjun joins us with more around this. Uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? A lot of big-name investors, uh, Apple, uh, TSMC, some of the other big chip makers, NVIDIA, all thought to be cornerstone investors here. And there's not that much stock on offer. So it does make you wonder about just how oversubscribed this is, also on the pricing, when this was a, a company that was going to be sold at a much lower price tag about uh, 12 months or so ago to NVIDIA, but just couldn't clear regulatory approval. Yeah, and, and also you've got to wonder how much stock's going to be left for the retail investor after all of this as well. I think, uh, look, we've spoken about this a bit and, and, and it seems that perhaps SoftBank's gone a bit cautious uh, in terms of pricing. They've had issues at the Vision Fund. They've had a bad track record in terms of some of the investments they've made and perhaps uh, SoftBank here and Masayoshi's son being a little bit more cautious. The last thing they need is for this thing to flop on debut. Not just because, you know, the price could rise in a few months, but it's the optics of it all. It's the headlines that will come out of that uh, as a result as well. And clearly for, for SoftBank, Arm is key for a number of reasons. One it is for shareholder return uh, as well, but also to boost up the balance sheet for SoftBank as it looks to go back into what Masayoshi-san calls offense mode. More investments for what he sees as the age of AI as well. So th th there is a lot at stake here for SoftBank, I think, with, the, with this listing. I want to pick up on that language that you used, conservative, and bring in Simon Lapthorn, who is Senior Research Analyst in Vestec Wealth and Investment. Simon, we know this is a company, SoftBank, that can manage the message for investors. Uh, even just the term offense, defense that's been using around tech investments in recent years, as Arjun was just telling us. But, I mean, this is a stock uh, that would have, uh, a company that would have sold for $40 billion to NVIDIA about just over 12 months ago. $64 billion the valuation that SoftBank had to climb down. We're somewhere in the middle of that range now, but is it really conservative when we're talking about such wide ranges here? I don't think it's particularly conservative. If you consider that the the amount NVIDIA was prepared to pay, $40 billion, that was uh, 2020, I think they announced that. Uh, and you'd assume that NVIDIA included in that $40 billion some sort of premium for control that you don't get at an IPO valuation. Um, but the thing I'd consider there is that at that time, the 10-year Treasury yield was around 70 bits, something like that. And the 10-year Treasury yield now is about 350 basis points higher than that. And that move in, in bond yields has been one of the sort of the key factors in, in, in why the IPO market has been difficult. Growth companies in particular 
uh, feel the pain from rising uh, rising bond yields in value. It's a great point you raise about the cost of capital and what uh, the worth of this business is now as we talk about, about a very different credit environment here for an IPO. Simon, can I ask you too the relevance of all of these big name investors coming on board? 50, What's in uh, 50 it? billion. It's, it, it, yeah. it's a 25% premium to that NVIDIA offer. Yeah. Simon, what's in it for these other big name investors, the likes of uh, Apple, NVIDIA, TSMC, uh, some of the big companies that may be cornerstone investors? Why would they want to be invested? Isn't there something else they can invest in at this point if they're not going to get any preferential treatment as customers? Well, I think it's probably uh, a strategic move to to block something like um, what was going to happen before, to stop somebody like NVIDIA trying to buy the whole thing. I think they want to ha- retain a, a stake in the game. Whether any one companies or even collectively their holdings be enough to, to really achieve that, I think, is, is questionable. I think um, those cornerstone investors are taking something like 15% of the issue collectively. But I think they, they, they have some kind of skin in the game. Uh, Simon, it's Arjun here. Uh, look, a lot of uh, arms revenue comes from the licensing and royalties, particularly around smartphones and consumer electronics enough. There's been some criticism that under SoftBank, the company hasn't innovated enough to set itself up for the future. Um, how do you view it, its future growth prospects? Do you see it uh, any areas where this company uh, can push into to, to sort of reinvigorate growth, particularly as the smartphone and some of the consumer electronic markets remain quite slow? Well, I think uh, the, the point about being under SoftBank ownership has been a little more kind of opaque than it was previously. But looking at the prospectus, the over the last three years, the the proportion of revenue spent on R and D has actually been significantly higher than it was in the in the years when it was listed on the London Stock Exchange, where it typically um, ranged between twenty eight and thirty two percent of sales being invested in R and D. The last few years, it's been more like forty percent now. Does that indicate they're running to stand still? Does that indicate underinvestment in the early days of the soft bank ownership and, and having to, to, to play catch up? In terms of the growth prospects, I think 50% thereabouts of the business still is in smartphones and consumer electronics, which is you know, a relatively, and, and I use the word advisedly when we see the growth rates we're seeing in, in some parts of tech, is a relatively low growth market. They've tried to get into other areas. I think one of the areas they're generally thought to have missed out on a little bit or been a bit slow to the party on was was cloud computing. I think they have something like a 10% share in server. So I I get the sense they're trying to play catch up a little bit, certainly. In terms of uh, the way SoftBank SoftBank has positioned this company as an AI play, uh, is that something you see at all in the near term or even over the longer term? I think they are being a little uh, a little opportunistic. I mean, to be fair, SoftBank may be planning this IPO for a very long time, since before the big explosion in, in interest in AI, which started sort of back end of this year, in the spring of this year. Um, they do have some kind of direct involvement. The, 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 the processors that do the inference, which is the kind of the second stage of, of generative AI rather than the training, do use ARM technology. But I, I think it would be wrong to compare it with, say, NVIDIA in terms of its exposure at the sharp end, as it were, of AI in anything, you know, in any, any short or medium term time frame. 
Mm. Uh, Simon, good morning to you. Arabile here. I just wanted to ask you about that China risk. I mean, is that enough to deter investors, you think, at a later stage? Because clearly right now, that oversubscription, if it does bear fruit, will actually be somewhat of a masterstroke for Masayoshi-san. I, I think the China risk is is significant. It, it's not so much that they have exposure to China. Lots of tech companies obviously have a lot of exposure to China, but it's the, the lack of control they have over there. And the, the track record is not you know, terribly encouraging. They were in dispute with the people who ran the business for quite a long time, uh, suggestions of conflict of interest, possibly even um, misappropriation of, of, of intellectual property. I think it is, uh, you know, it is a, a big concern for investors, certainly. Um, Simon, let me ask you then overall just about the IPO market. I mean, on the other side, we're seeing Birkenstock uh, so then look for a listing, but away then from Europe again. How does Europe recover uh, when you've lost ARM, um, for example, a while ago now? Yes, but, you know, do they continue to look like a hub investment-wise, IPO-wise as well uh, for the broader market? I think it's quite... Difficult, really. If you think, consider the UK market, for example, that's something like 5% of, of global equities in, in, in the UK. So for tech in particular, which is very, very small in the UK, um, a company like Arm, for example, would be, I think, the 15th largest, something like that, in the FTSE 100. And a lot of UK investors would, would pretty much have to own a piece of it. Um, in the US, I mean, it's not exactly an also-ran, but it it's way, way down the pecking order, even in, in the tech sector. It's not going to be in the indices, so there's no imperative for as many investors to own it. But you've got a much deeper pool of capital, and you have many more investors who are specialists in tech, partly because there are more tech companies. There's a kind of vicious circle, perhaps, working there. So I think it's very difficult for uh, the UK and Europe to to break the stranglehold that the US seems to have, certainly on tech company listings. Yeah, certainly is the case. Simon, appreciate the time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Simon Lapthorne is the Senior Research Analyst at Investec Wealth and Investment. Of course, Arjun will continue to join us as well across the morning then as we continue to take in this and other stories. As I said a little bit earlier, that IPO counter, Birkenstock filing for its own IPO then, saying it plans to trade on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker Burke. The shoemaker didn't give an anticipated price range or even say how many shares that it would list. Birkenstock brought in around 1.1.25 billion euros revenue in fiscal 2022. That's according to a regulatory filing. And the Wall Street Journal has previously reported the debut could fetch a valuation of more than $7 billion. The odd one here was always uh, the investment by Bernard Arnault. Yeah, you know, it actually was. The man behind Louis Vuitton to, <laughs> to invest in this German sandal maker that was always seen as somewhat clunky. But of course, uh, he's, uh, he's taken the company, taken LVMH yeah. in a direction towards the top of the stock market and his own market wealth with it. So you look at this and think maybe this should have been, you know, this wasn't that necessarily a bad idea. Actually. Maybe this will be a hard-wearing investment for a lot of investors. <laughs> hard-wearing, she says. <laughs> well, coming up on the show, we're going to settle right into investors waiting on today's all-important CPI readout from the US with both the headline and core readings expected to tick higher. Plus, of course, Apple announcing a slew of new gadgets, including watches and iPhones, complete with USB charging. But investors turn sour on the tech giant stock. As we said, Arjun will be joining us for that discussion later this hour. Don't miss out, though. 
First on CNBC interview with Ralph Ossa, who is the chief economist at the World Trade Organization. That's coming up at 8.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. Now, U.S. CPI data is due today for the month of August, ahead of the Fed's policy meeting that's happening next week. Headline as well as core readings are all expected to tick higher on the month and the year. Now, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon has said that inflation in the U.S. is likely to be stickier than markets currently expect, but that the chances of avoiding a recession are now materially higher than they were just a year ago. Solomon referenced market optimism but warned of a lag time and persistently high uncertainty. Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gundlach spoke to our U.S. colleagues and weighed in on the Fed's next step. I think they're done. I, I, I think that uh, we have enough economic weakness. I think what's the one thing that they need to change, to be done, is they need the core PCE to drop below four. It's been at four to four and a half for about two, two and a half years. And that's the one inflation indicator that is just sideways. All the rest of them are clearly very substantially have come off their highs, not the core PCE. And that's because of services. Uh, and, uh, and to a certain extent, uh, wages are part of that services component. That has to come down. I think once that goes below four, and I think it's at 4.1 today, I think that will definitively make them stop. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.